Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hi, everyone. I'm Carol. And I'm David. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the Sexy Lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are, and you know what we love talking about. It's all about sex, sexuality, sexual pleasure, communication, consent, respect, and relationships. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because... Well, great sex matters, and we all deserve it. We sure do. And are you aware that there's a pleasure gap between men and women? Wondering why men have orgasms almost every time they have sex and yet women don't? Ladies, if you're not experiencing mind-blowing, body-rippling, can't-help-screaming-out-loud orgasms, then you need to listen to this episode and be ready to take notes. Absolutely. I love those screaming-out-loud orgasms you have, baby. But before we get into the show, we want to remind everybody about our show sponsor, which is our top waterproof blanket, because nobody wants to sleep in the wet spot, and squirt is hot until it's not. So if you're fed up with sleeping in the wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof and guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils to silicone lubes or any other sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. Search Amazon for Top Waterproof Blanket and order yours today. Great sex starts now. All right, it sure does. And our show is about to begin, and we want to welcome our special guest to The Sexy Lifestyle. You know we are Carol and David, and today's special guest is... Well, Dr. Lori Mintz is a professor of human sexuality at the University of Florida and the author of a book, which we're going to be... Many books, but one we're going to be discussing today called Becoming Cliterate. Welcome, Dr. Lori, and thank you for joining us on The Sexy Lifestyle. Truly, Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So welcome, Dr. Lori, and thank you for joining us on The Sexy Lifestyle. I am delighted to be here. We're so happy to have you. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time reading your book in the last week. We're so excited to discuss it. But before we get started on your book, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into this field of female sexuality? Absolutely. Well, I started out as a licensed psychologist and a professor at the University of Southern California and subsequently University of Missouri. And throughout my practice, I noticed that I would always ask my clients about their sex life. And it was something my clients never brought up. But Every time I ask them anything about your sex life, you want to talk about anything concerning and let them know that this was a comfortable topic, all of my women clients had something to say. And also, um, and I talk about this in my first book, A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex, after the birth of my own two children, my unusually before then high sex drive just sort of disappeared. And so the combination of that and working to reclaim it and talking to my clients about sex and teaching them about sex, I realized we really, really needed um, more voices in the field, more people working with women around sexuality. So I just began the journey there. And since then, I've been teaching Psych of Human Sexuality at University of Florida, and I've written two books. Um, all both aimed with empowering women sexually. Wow, that is an amazing story. And of course, it comes firsthand, you uh, recouping your own sexuality before writing your book, which is very cool. And one of the main points in your book is you talk about the pleasure gap. Why don't I let you explain what your concept is of the pleasure gap? Absolutely. And and the story I told about losing and regaining my own sex drive was in my first book, but what you're talking about is my most recent book, Becoming Cliterate. And the pleasure gap is something I discovered um, when teaching human sexuality to undergrads. 
um, in the academic literature, and then it really came to life when I was speaking to my students. And it's the very clear, robust finding in the research literature. Um, also, you know, when you talk to women um, in their own lives, that women are having substantially fewer orgasms than men. And this occurs in all types of sex, but particularly casual sex. Um, for example, in one study, 93% of men versus 39% of women said they had an orgasm at their last sexual encounter. And again, it, it, it goes from biggest to smallest um, first-time casual sex, repeat casual sex, friends with benefits, relationships, but it never, ever closes altogether. Men are still having way more orgasms than women are, and that's the pleasure gap or the orgasm gap, whichever you want to say. It's still the same finding. And that's really why you wrote your book uh, about becoming clitorate is to learn all about, for women to learn about their clitoris, which is really the the main source of orgasms for women. Pleasure, right. Yes. Absolutely. I wrote the book to expose the pleasure gap, to talk about why we have it, what's wrong with our culture, basically, and how we can close it both as a culture and, most important, in individual bedrooms. And you use the the term becoming clitorate, which, of course, is a play on words. Explain what that term means. Yes. Well, obviously, it is a play on words um, in terms of clitorate or literate, Um, although I really want to credit Ian Kerner for the term. He let me use it, but he first spoke of it in his book, She Comes First, with A Thinking Man's Guide to Pleasuring a Woman, which is basically an oral sex how-to manual. But basically, it means learning all about what pleasures a woman, um, and for most women, um, that includes the clitoris, like 98%. Um, And so it's about becoming well-versed in the clitoris and talking about it and pleasuring it and understanding it and using it to enhance sexuality for women and their partners. Now, I can remember within a few years, like I can count the number of years on my hand when I first learned the real size and shape and purpose of the clitoris. And I still am in shock that that was the first time in my life at 52 years old when I learned about it, that that was the first time I learned about what the the clitoris really is all about. And I can't believe that that was like held back in, in educational institutes for that long. Absolutely. I mean, we never even mention the term in our sex ed classes. It's like we act as if the clitoris doesn't exist. There's more nicknames for the word penis than almost any other in the human dictionary. Very few for clitoris. People are uncomfortable saying the term. And most people don't even really know, like you, till what it is, where it is, that it's a huge internal and external organ and how it works. And Laurie, do you think that the issue here is related to people not being able to communicate what they want sexually and just take it for granted that sex is about putting a cock into a pussy and fucking and him coming? And if she does, great. And we know that 20% of women um, don't come Uh, I mean, 20% of women only come through um, intercourse and 80% have to come with a clitoral clitoral stimulation. But most guys, do they really care? They just want to get off. Isn't that what society tells them? Well, I I actually, I I, I agree with some points and I disagree with others. That I think that um, the pleasure gap is due to societal fear and misunderstanding Um, about women's pleasure, but I also think it really runs deeper. It's an overvaluing of male sexual pleasure, and I'm not blaming men. I actually believe they have been just also harmed by this, but if you think about it, all of the images, not all but most, that we see in mainstream movies and in porn, and I'm not anti-porn at all, but we see the man put his penis in the woman's vagina without hardly any warm-up and she's having an instant orgasm (laughs) Um, we use the word sex yeah i mean it's just in in real life that would hurt Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um it wouldn't cause pleasure we use the word sex and intercourse as if they're one and the same we label everything that comes before foreplay 
you know, we have these this sort of ingrained script foreplay just to get her ready for intercourse. Intercourse, male comes, female fake orgasm, often sex over. And I think the problem is that we don't have education to tell people differently. And so many women walk around thinking they're broken and don't say anything. And many men, like, are they're working so hard to last long and thrust hard to give a woman a mind-blowing orgasm, and they're not having as much fun. And this whole cultural lie harms both women and men when they have sex together. Because the truth is, and I'll let you end that sentence, the reality (laughs) is that women... Yeah, go ahead. The reality is that women need clitoral stimulation to have an orgasm, either alone or coupled with penetration. As you said, only about 18 to 20% of women say they can orgasm from intercourse alone. And in research I've conducted myself, if you ask the question differently, you simply say, what's your most reliable route to orgasm? Only 4% say penetration alone. And further proof, this is something I just love to point out, when women masturbate, when they pleasure themselves, 99% stimulate their external clitoris, their, their vulva, their clitoris, their external organs, sometimes alone, sometimes coupled with penetration. Women know how to get themselves off when they're alone, yet when they're with male partners, they think they should get off a different way. And um, so that's the bottom line. Yeah, exactly. And some people don't even know that there are different ways to to orgasm. So they, they try one, that's the only way that works for them, and they stick with it, and which, which is fine, but it might not play out during coupled sex. And that might not work when you're with a partner that doesn't quite know your tricks that you've learned yourself. Well, you need to tell them, right? Yeah, but not everybody wants to talk about sex. That's one of the main issues here as well. Exactly, which is why in both of my books, I have an entire chapter on how to communicate sexually. Because you can't, I mean, and even research is so interesting. If you teach women about their clitoris, they start to have orgasms during masturbation, but not with a partner. I mean, you have to bridge the gap and tell your partner, show your partner, take matters into your own hands in front of your partner and show them what you need. So when you talk about that number one lie that women are told about getting laid, what exactly is that? I talk about the number one lie women are getting laid, talk about about getting laid is that they should orgasm from intercourse. And they I mean, don't, it's all around us. Once you, yeah, go ahead. And they don't know that that's not Wait. really true. No, I have talked to so many women, especially young women who are starting their sexual journeys, but even many older women who just simply see the images, hear the word sex and intercourse and foreplay. It's all around us, and um, they feel broken. Even magazine articles, this just really gets me. You see these magazine articles for the best sex positions for her orgasm, and they're all on intercourse positions, and none of them sometimes don't even mention the clitoris at all. Once you see this lie, it is so all around you, and you cannot, you'll see it everywhere. So you're giving everybody the aha moment when they realize, wow, I'm not really broken. I'm not really expected to have an orgasm during sex because my body is not built that way. Exactly. Absolutely. And in fact, for many women, it's really a biological impossibility. And there's all kinds of you know, details I can get in on that, um, tell you about one really interesting fact that I discovered when writing my book is that there, the farther the distance from the clitoral glands and your vaginal opening, the less likely you are to have an orgasm during intercourse um, because the stimulation is just too far away from where it should be. And even intercourse positions that um, bring a woman to orgasm, much of that is due to um, getting the clitoris stimulated by the penis or, um, you know, by rubbing against something. But, but again, I don't want to say that like it's a goal to strive for because that's how we set things up. Like, oh, that's the best way. It's like this orgasm hierarchy that we have for women. And I want to just dump that all together. And 
whatever way you orgasm best, whether it's alone. I've talked to some women who say, I can't orgasm with the penis inside my vagina. It's too distracting. I need straight up clitoral stimulation, oral sex, vibrator, manual. However you orgasm is fine and we need to stop shooting on women's orgasms. Yeah. And you know, I'm just going to back up a little bit because we've mentioned it on our shows many times with the um, amazing guests and doctors and sexperts that we've had on. But why don't you, Lori, just for a second, talk about the size of the clit? Because the majority of the population out there thinks it's just a little button. Exactly. So the the clitoris is, uh, um, many parts of it are analogous to the male penis. It started out the same. Although, side note, what I also like to talk about is that the inner lips um, which aren't part of the clitoris, are also made of the same tissues ahead of the penis and are very reactive. But the clitoris is made up of distinct parts, the majority of which is internal. There are the, There's the clitoral glands, which is that little button we hear about. Then there's this hood that covers it, which is, and I have illustrations of all this in my book, but that's made of the same tissue as the inner lips. It kind of connects there, and it's this, it's just analogous to the male uh, foreskin. Um, and then there's um, the 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 um, clitoral bulbs which surround the vagina. There's the clitoral legs and shaft. You can actually feel the shaft through your mom's pubis, which is sort of that mound of fatty tissue above um, your vulva, which is the external genitals. But the really interesting thing is the entire clitoris is made of erectile tissue. gets up to 500 times bigger when aroused. And what size would it be? Just like the male penis. And what size would that be when it's fully aroused? Well, I don't, everybody's is different. It's just, it's sort of like a penis. It starts one size and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But it's, it's, it's a very complex external and internal organ. Um, and in fact, some people say we should stop calling like women's organs, organs, different parts, vagina, vulva, clitoris. We should call the whole thing a clitoris because it's everywhere. It's pretty much everywhere. Um, um, internal and external in women's genitals. No. But, but just to give somebody an idea, this whole organ is not one inch long and when it's fully erect, it's much bigger than that. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, yes. And it yes, could, could be as big as four or five inches, possibly. Or six. Or yes. six, okay. Absolutely, right. and it gets, Yes. Now, one of the things we've learned, and I guess we're lucky because being swingers, we get to go to beautiful places like hedonism or the cruises where um, there are sex educators that do workshops or play shops where people actually can get naked and the educators, they don't touch the people, but they get the couples together and say, do this and try this and touch that. And one of the the things we learned uh, probably five or six years ago in one of the play shops was how much time a man or another woman needs to take um, on the person that you want to pleasure to get the clitoris and the whole area aroused and get the blood down there and you need to massage everything and and get it warmed up and use some good lube and some oils to get the whole area flush with blood and then you can start having sex so like you said um you know porn is great for entertainment and for you know bringing up some fantasies but just sticking a cock into a pussy without taking the time to get her ready um is just wrong Absolutely. Here's some. I, I want to really underscore what you say, and um, and that, and also offer a little bit different perspective at the same time. That it's really interesting when women and men pleasure themselves. They take about the same exact amount of time to to orgasm, somewhere between four and six minutes. Um, the time that it takes for a man between putting his penis in a a vagina to orgasm is average, and there's variation, five to six minutes. The average woman, there is no average. It can take anywhere from like five to 45 minutes to be aroused enough to have intercourse. And you really do need to use lube, to use your hand, to use a vibrator. And if a woman has a penis in her vagina before she's sufficiently aroused and 
By that, I mean lubricated in the cervix, pulls up and back. It, your vagina becomes like a wet tent, although added lubricant is usually a must for many women. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be pleasurable. And that's the source of so much pain is that that um, often women take, you know, 20 to 40 minutes um, of fooling around before having intercourse. And there was a study that showed the average amount of time that most heterosexual couples spend on that is five minutes. Yeah. No wonder women aren't having orgasms. Yeah, it's not that they're not just having orgasms. A lot of women are not even enjoying and finding it pleasurable because really it's the stimulation of the clitoris that's the most pleasure. And certainly if the vagina is not ready for intercourse, like you said earlier, there could be a lot of pain involved. That's why we have Costco-sized coconut oil. <laughs> but yes, and 30% of women say they had pain at their last instance of penetrative sex. Wow. And wow. most don't even tell their partners. They just bear it wow. because they think something's wrong with them. Like, what's wrong with me? This hurts instead of giving me this wild screaming orgasm like I see in the movies. <laughs> Dr. Laura, I'm just going to ask you to hold that thought as we remind everybody that this is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we are Carol and David, and we're talking with Dr. Lori Mintz, human sexuality professor and author of the book, Becoming Cliterate, which we're discussing here on air today. We are. And we're just going to take a second because we want to invite everyone to join us at Goddess Week, which is going to be at the spectacular Hito 2 Resort in Jamaica, May 9th to 16th. You know, we go there very often. It's one of our favorite places. But Goddess Week is going to be super special because it's going to be hosted by... Yeah, hosted by Kim and Brad from Tantric Hearts. And this week is all about adding more passion to your life and your relationship from goddess spot massage to feminine empowerment and manifesting desire. These daily play shops will help you discover your goddess within. Absolutely. So if you want more information about this or anything else, go to our website and find out about this event at thesexylifestyle.com. All right. We are Carol and David, and it's now back time to get back to our program with Dr. Lori Mintz. She's the author of Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. And we've been having a great discussion all about the clit and orgasms. And now we're going to get into a little bit how we close that pleasure gap. So, Lori, why don't you tell us a little bit about how gender inequality contributes to the pleasure gap? That's one of your concepts in the book. Yes, it, my concept is that gender equality is re, it, it's responsible for the pleasure gap. The pleasure gap is a an outward manifestation of the fact that in our culture we privilege, and I'm again I'm not blaming men. I think they're harmed by this very much, but we center everything around intercourse, which is our language, our the way we do sex generally. And that's the most reliable way for most men to orgasm, but not most women. So the pleasure gap is a direct outcome of privileging male sexuality, of gender inequality. And again, men suffer from this as well. I'm not blaming individual men. It's our culture that's broken. And, of course, we talked earlier about the foreplay that we need to get ready to have um, intercourse. Um, but a lot of times that's not even considered an important part of the sexual journey when you're starting off getting your, your arousal started. And so just talk a little bit about how important that is and why it should not be considered the foreplay if that's what one way of getting women to have their orgasm. You're talking like going down on a woman and eating out her pussy isn't considered sex. Important. It's, well, yeah, it's exactly. really just foreplay, yeah, exactly. which is wrong. Right. Right. Exactly. And in fact, that's why I really, I'm really careful when I talk not even to use, not to use the word sex and intercourse as if they're one and the same, because that implies that that's the only important act and foreplay is just the lead up. When in fact, for many, about half, only about, as I say, 4% of women orgasm from most reliably from intercourse alone and about 20% aren't orgasming at all um, and about 34% say their most reliable route is, um, is, is clitoral stimulation alone and the other 43 clitoral stimulation plus penetration. So how do we do this? Um, sometimes we take turns, right? you know, let me go down on you until you orgasm or use the vibrator on you and go down on you till you orgasm. 
then we'll have intercourse where he orgasms. Or There's many different ways. That's just one example. But if we relegate foreplay as just something we do to warm a woman up, then what we're doing is, like, it's not important, even though it's women's, we're, we're, we're dismissing women's most reliable route to orgasm. And especially since you just told us that most average people spend five minutes on foreplay before they start intercourse, then if you're not even getting warmed up, and how, how could she possibly be getting warmed up, getting aroused, ar- ar- arranging her, getting her body all ready for foreplay and, sorry, for sex, and then have her orgasm all in that same five minutes? Exactly. Well said. Exactly. It's an impossibility. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be pleasurable. You see, Han, you're like... And again, women, many, some, oh, go ahead, no, please. No, you, you finish your thought. Thank you. I mean, and, and I'm not also, I'm not trying to turn the tables and say if you do orgasm during intercourse, there's something wrong. Um, you know, like we said, about 20% of women do, but it's, 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 it's during intercourse after being really aroused and usually the clitoris is also getting stimulated, but we really just need to get rid of this idea that that's the most important, best, ideal way to orgasm and start considering oral sex, vibrators, the whole thing is sex, and it's all equally important. And, you know, we practice that all the time, and um, Carol and I have this issue where I love long, slow, passionate, romantic, take my time, lick her pussy, massage her body, and sometimes she's like, all right, I'm ready to go, let's fuck right now. And um, it's, you know, we, we have the inequality issues where she has a bit more man in her than I do. (laughs) Well, one of the things is I do actually like penetration and especially the way that David, um, I guess, does me hard, if you want to call it that, because he really pounds my clitoris. And I like that. That starts me getting my clitoris all uh, hot and horny and ready to go. But you also like when I put three and four fingers inside and lick your clit at the same time. Exactly. So I know what I like. So when I'm ready, um, when I know when I'm ready for him to penetrate me and start pounding me hard, I know that that's what I want. And then, then he pulls out and then he goes down on me. And for me, that's what works best. A little bit of edging there. That's okay. That's what works best for it me. It does. But David knows that, and so we have a, you know, we have a great communication, and we have a great sex life. And of course, um, I'm going to say probably 80% of the time I orgasm every time we have sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but that's not always the end goal. We're no, but sometimes it. we're fucking, and um, I come. And then I'll go down and lick your clit. You'll come, and then you'll take out a toy. We love our womanizer, and you'll have three or four more orgasms. Sure. So it just kind of depends where the mood's going that when the time strikes. And I really appreciate what you just said, and that is, you know what works for you, and that's what you do. And you just described a really cool sexual routine, and I'm sure you vary it up, as you say, but that works for you and that's really the key what figuring out what works for you and doing it getting the type of stimulation that you need um, but that's the problem is so many women are they know what they do when they're alone but they just forfeit the stimulation they need when with a male partner um, and and also I think you said something really important you need neither of you have to orgasm every time while I wrote the book becoming clitorate in talking about orgasm equality, the message isn't that both people have to orgasm every time. I mean, the pressure to have an orgasm can be really harmful to having an orgasm. So I had to be really careful in writing the book that, yes, you know, I want to close the orgasm gap, but I'm not trying to put pressure on people to orgasm each time right. they have a sexual encounter. Right, exactly. And your book is so easy to read. I just want to tell you, congratulations on making something so easy and so comfortable. I really felt like you were in the room talking to me. And I'm sure because you're a professor and you're very used to talking to your students that way, that I really enjoyed um, your style. Uh, and I know you had some great tips that you recommended for women to make themselves orgasm. You know, especially if they've never had an orgasm before. Do you want to just run through some of your tips that you, you, you cover in your book? Yes. Sure, and thanks for the compliment on the writing style. That means a lot. I really did want to make it fun and accessible and funny, so thank you. Um, I think it's really important not just to have good sex, but be able to joke about it, laugh about it, talk <laughs> yeah. about it. 
So I really appreciate that. So, if you know, let's start with a woman who has never had an orgasm. Um, the first tip is, you know, reading your mind, you know, really saying to yourself, um, getting rid of any sexual shame you have. Um, um, I just went to a comedy show where someone was like, showing herself giving birth to a shame baby. Just get rid of all the <laughs> sexual shame. Tell, you know, it was such a good act. Um, tell yourself that it's, um, that you deserve sexual pleasure, you know, that kind of thing. Talk to yourself, you know, figure out what's, what's holding you back and talk yourself out of it. Also, you really need to practice putting your mind and body in the same place or what's called mindfulness. We can come back to that. So turning off your thinking brain, practice it in your daily life and then apply it to the bedroom because you can't have an orgasm while you're self-monitoring. Ooh, am I going to come? Am I going to come? Do I smell bad? Is he having fun? So that's the preliminary step. Get ready your mind and then masturbate, masturbate, masturbate. Take time. Take time to pleasure yourself with lubricants, your hands, a vibrator. Figure out what works for your body. And sometimes it takes quite a while to figure it out, but you know, just enjoy it. Some people like to relax first, a glass of wine, a bubble bath. Other people want to key themselves up, watch, go for a run, go to a yoga class, you know, uh, watch a movie, watch erotica, but bring yourself to orgasm. Then the next step is to tell and show your partner, this is what I need. You can do it with a conversation. You can do it with him watching you pleasure yourself. You can take his hand or and show him however that works. And then together, change your sexual routine. Stop the foreplay just for a little intercourse, male ejaculation, sex over. Create a routine that works for you, whether it's a turn-taking model or you touch your own clit during intercourse, or you use a couple vibrator where, you know, you can, uh, there's these cock rings with these attached clitoral vibrators, but, you know, change the script. So those are, that's in a nutshell, um, the kind of tips that I give women um, on their journey to orgasm alone and with partners. And Lori, just before we get into this mindfulness and brain traffic, I want you just to take a few minutes and talk to those people out there who believe they need to fake an orgasm. Oh, yes. Thank you for giving me that opportunity. Here's my favorite quote about it, and it's from Lonnie Barback's book, For Yourself. By faking orgasm, you are teaching your partner to do exactly what doesn't work for you. I I mean, I just can't say that enough. I, I gave a workshop once where a woman said she'd been faking for 30 years, um, and we, you know, we talked about, well, how are you going to stop that? And I can certainly talk about that, um, for listeners as well. But the bottom line is most women fake for one of two, a couple reasons. One, they feel abnormal. You're, and that's why they fake during intercourse. I hope we've already convinced people they're not. Two, they want to make their partner feel good, help his ego, which again, they're helping his ego because he thinks he should be giving an orgasm through the pounding. Um, or they want sex to end, and they probably want it to end because it's uncomfortable because they haven't been aroused enough. So um, you fake, if you're faking, you're going to be stuck doing something that doesn't work for you. Stop faking. It's hard. It's hard because the whole culture is kind of pushing you that way, but once you stop faking, you can actually get what you need and have fantastic orgasms. Well, I think that was a very good explanation why people fake. I can tell you from personal experience in my very first marriage, which lasted 16 years of faking orgasms, I, I honestly could probably tell you I had real orgasms maybe five times in those 16 years, and I'm sure that was just a fluke. It just happened. Um, so yes, all those reasons that you stated were reasons that I was faking orgasms for so many years. When I met David, my very first pledge was, I am never going to fake an orgasm again. I'm going to make sure that I learn how to orgasm and teach David right from day one. We, were, we made a pledge of honesty and openness as we got together. And um, I had a hard time at first trying to figure out transitioning from my masturbation orgasm to teaching David how to do it. 
Um, but I did figure it out. And in fact, I had put my head right in that space and uh, showed David or told him, I'm not really sure, was it verbal or I took his hand yeah. or I told him, what, oh, that feels good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That feels good. Okay. There we are. That's the way it is. And I used those kind of words without him feeling bad that he didn't know. Of no, course, I there's no learning. there's no way for him to know. And from that day forward, I've never, ever, ever, ever faked an orgasm again. And that's and, and, 15 years and later. And you became a squirter. Oh, and you're yeah. a huge squirter now, too. No, exactly. So a whole lot of sexual pleasure came into my life when I met David. And one of the things, Laurie, that Good we... Good for you. I'm... Yes, please. Go ahead, Good Lori. for you, really. Thank you. No, I just said, like, that is such an inspirational story that, you know, for the people who are listening who have been faking for a long time that you don't need to do that and honesty and show and tell and communication is where it's at so i'm just really inspired by your story and i think it's great it is and one of the things that we talk about all the time being swingers is swinging is all about sex okay nobody's falling in love nobody's looking to find another partner to remarry or 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 do something um in the emotional spectrum Swinging is about sex. And as a guy, you know, the way I go down on Carol or the way I fuck Carol is probably different than the way another woman likes it. So when we're in a swinging situation and our favorites are foursomes and morsomes, our listeners know that. We talk about it all the time. Um, The first thing I say is, you know, what do you like? You know, do you like my tongue here? Do you like my fingers there? Do you like it hard or soft? And most women who are in the lifestyle, who are swingers, they know exactly what they want, can communicate it, and they have a great experience. It's the same when a girl or a woman is giving a blowjob or sucking a cock. The guy needs to tell her what's good, faster, slower, harder, and it's about having good sexual pleasure. And that's kind of equivalent to those hookup, um, I guess, stats that you show where only 4% of women actually have an orgasm during hookup sex because swinging is like that. You meet the person for the first time. You might, the other couple, I should say, that you're playing with, you might never see them again. You have your sexual encounter and you want it to be a good experience. But, 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 but with, sorry, but with hookup sex, people probably don't know how to communicate as right. well as swingers do. And, that's why. and they just take it and it's, okay, we're going to have sex whether it's good or not. It's sex. Right, and that's why only 4% of women, right. according to your stats, right, Laurie? Yes, exactly. I mean, it's very, it's, this, it's similar and it's different. It's exactly what you're saying. You're talking about um, having hookup sex with someone who knows her body, who is willing to communicate. A lot of young people are having hookup sex. They don't want to talk about it. They can't communicate, or these young women still think, that they should buy it, they should be orgasming from intercourse. And so that's the problem. That That's why there's such dire amount, few female orgasms during hookup sex. Well, I hope everybody out there wants to buy this book, Becoming Cliterate, and pass it around to every young woman that you know, or every every woman you know and make sure she's fully literate and cliterate about her clitoris. <laughs> so it's very important that we all learn this. <laughs> Uh, And, you know, you did touch on being mindful and getting into your body, going from your brain and down into your body. But talk to people about why that's so important during sex. Oh, absolutely. As I say in the book, mindfulness is sex's best friend, mindfulness and communication. But mindfulness, like, I mean, we all have experienced this, right? You're talking to a friend and all of a sudden you realize her mouth is moving and you have not heard a word she said because you're thinking about something else. Um, it happens to all of us, but we we kind of don't. We aren't in our bodies. And I love it. I love the description of your mind and your body in the same place. A lot of times we're not. Interestingly, yoga helps teach that, which is why a lot of um, people who do yoga have better sex lives. It teaches you to have shut down that chattering mind. And brain, the latest brain research shows that right before orgasm, parts of your conscious brain turn off, those thinking, self-monitoring parts. And that's what mindfulness does, too. It's the same thing. And so mindfulness is not just never having your mind wander, though. 
it's being able to notice when it does and bring it back, bring your mind back to your body, bring your mind and your body together. And you can practice it in yoga. You can practice it with meditation. You can practice it in your daily life, brushing your teeth, really feel the suds, you know, the toothpaste in your mouth and try to just focus on those sensations. And when your mind wanders, bring it back. And that is, related to sexual satisfaction you can see how it works right your head your partner's going down on you and you're thinking you're enjoying it one moment and then you're thinking oh i wonder if i smell you know and then most people spin out from there and don't bring don't focus back to the sensations so that i mean research is really clear mindfulness enhances sexual pleasure it also enhances decreases depression anxiety i mean it's a really great tool and it's pretty easy to find ways to learn it in your daily life you don't have to meditate 45 minutes a day to do it you can practice it in in your life in general and then bring it into the bedroom so so laurie you know we've spoken about balance in life probably a gazillion times on our show and in theory what you're saying is great and i'm sure our listeners out there are going wow i love this but in reality people are also saying i am so busy in life with my family with my kids with my work with um me with everything that's going on and then we're we're bombarded with social media and electronics where people want you know immediate responses how do people simply find time to either self-pleasure put time aside to get all that craziness out of their head and spend some quality time with their partner having great sex. And, you know, it, it sounds so simple. Okay, we need to carve this out and, and make the time in our day. But in reality, people are, are busier and busier and busier. So, you know, what's one little thing they can do to get into this mindfulness space where they can have great sex hopefully once or twice a week? Absolutely. And it's that's sort of interesting because that's the entire topic of my first book, A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex, because I hear that so much. I'm, I, I, I want a good sex life, but I'm too busy. I have too much to do. And, to, you know, there's it, it is hard. I mean, it is really hard. And there's a lot of techniques um, that I could give you. But the one that I recommend the most for couples in that situation is to actually start by or continue of finding how sit down have a conversation how many times a week ideally do you want to have sex is it once a week is it twice a week is it once every two weeks um interestingly research shows that the sweet spot for most couples is once a week um but again there's variation there and then you know what put it in your calendar and that and that's, I don't like to, people go, ooh, scheduled sex, but I like to call it a tryst. It's much more romantic, which is a planned meeting of lovers. And think about when you're, once you are, you know, you have a job and maybe aging parents and kids and bills to pay and social media. I mean, do you go to the gym? Do you meet up with a friend for lunch without um, planning it? No. So, carve out the time and what happens then is it takes that tension away of are we going to do it now she wants to I don't vice versa and then you know for example that that's going to be your time and you can spend the day thinking about it getting your mind ready clearing off the space for it um, and it's usually it's it's a really effective um, strategy I often joke that um, I'm Jewish, and I often joke that when my kids were little, that the only reason I sent them to Sunday school was so I could have a regular time <laughs> to have a sexual encounter with my husband. I love it. That makes sense. And one of the things that you didn't say, uh, Ben, I just want to add in is, of course, you talked about prioritizing sex and sexual pleasure as something so important in your life, and not many women actually allow themselves this pleasure. So give yourself permission to stop what you're doing and enjoy sexual pleasure. I just wanted to point that out. I agree with you 100%. You deserve pleasure. It's an important part of your life. And, you know, put your. I also want to add, I talk to a lot of women who say my priority is my relationship. And I then say, okay, that's great. Track what, track your time for a week. 
And they'll come back with like, wow, I say this is what's most important to me and it's the thing I spent the least time on this yeah. week. Yeah, sometimes we don't realize it. So all of this is such great information. I just want to take a second to remind everybody that we are Carolyn David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle and we are talking uh, with uh, Professor Dr. Lori Mintz, uh, author of Becoming Cliterate. And coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. We'll be right back. All right, this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. We are having a great discussion with Dr. Lori Mintz. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. Now it's time to get a little personal with Dr. Lori and find out if she practices what she preaches. <laughs> I love this part of the show. So, Dr. Lori, tell us a little bit about the history of your sex life from when you were younger and how it has changed over the years. Absolutely. I'm happy to, and I, I absolutely practice what I preach, <laughs> um, as does my husband. <laughs> um, let me say that I've been married for 34 years. Um, Congratulations. And thank you. Unlike you all, um, and this is, um, I really endorse people doing whatever works for them. I'm not a swinger. I'm My husband and I have been monogamous all those years which means that we had to find other ways to spice things up with just the two of us. But let me let me back up a bit and say, in the early stages, like most couples, we really could not keep our hands off of each other. I mean, it was just an amazing sexual connection. And then, you know, we got older. We had two kids. Um, she's fine now, but one of them had a chronic illness. One had a sleep disorder. Um, we both had very stressful jobs, and we really, uh, my sex drive went, like, tanked out. Like, I just never felt horny um, at all. Um, but I also knew how important sex was to um, a relationship, to physical and emotional health. So I started trying to, like, read everything I could. I had, could do that as a psychologist of how to get my sex drive back and there wasn't really anything then in the literature that really spoke to me, but I started putting pieces together and put my own little program together and then would share it with my friends. And that is how I wrote A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex, which subsequently, side note, I'm a scientist too, so we've done some studies of the book and yes, people who read it do start having better sex, start having more desire. But what I discovered from that is that it's actually normative for women who are tired, stressed out in long-term relationships without the excitement of a new partner or swinging to lose their horniness. And so what do you got to do to get it back? You know, spice things up, try new toys, try vibrators, watch erotica, and carve out time, have a tryst. So as we were raising our kids, I already told you, Sunday school, all that, um, we did that. And um, then, you know, our kids are old adults. They're, you know, they're older now. They're both out of the house. They both have their own partners. Um, they're in their late 20s, early 30s. And then we had this empty nester period where we could kind of be back to being youthful again. But in terms of um, my second book, Becoming Clitorate, I will say, yes, my husband is very aware of the clitoris. He's one of the most clitorate men I've ever met. Our whole group of friends is like that. When we go out, we are often talking about our favorite vibrators and joking about them and that kind of thing. And so our sexual routine definitely gives equal importance to my orgasm through clitoral stimulation as to his through penetration. Wow, that sounds great. Can we, can we come out for dinner with you and your <laughs> friends? We'll have a great discussion. That sounds like a fun time, that's yeah. for sure. So tell us a little bit about the type of stimulation that you need for you to have your orgasm. And is it different from when you were younger? Okay. Um, I think it is different than I'm, from when I was younger. I've been through menopause. I think it's the same type of stimulation. I just need it much more intensely. Um, and also when I was younger, I, you know, hands were the thing that got me off. I mean, I'm like, I'm pretty unusual. I'm not a big fan of oral sex, but I love manual stimulation and I love vibrator stimulation. And um, so, you know, we, we focus on that. 
Um, sometimes with him doing that for me, sometimes I'll take matters into my own hands and use a vibrator on myself while we're having intercourse or after. Um, usually it's, to be honest, it's before, during, and after. <laughs> so nice. I'll often have an yeah orgasm before intercourse and um, another one after. Well, as women, we can have lots and lots of orgasms, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, Carol's like that, too, especially when we're fucking doggy style. You like putting the little vibrator on your clit and Mm -hmm. you get the um, penetrative sensation and the pounding from behind. Your biggest problem is like holding yourself up with one hand. (laughs) It's all good. We make it work. Don't worry. We We know how to do it. It's all good. But for me, I'm a very visual person when we have sex. And I love when you're on your back and your, your legs are open and my cock is in your pussy. And then you take your fingers or a vibrator and you play with your clit mm-hmm. while I'm fucking you. For sure. And it gets me even more turned on and stimulated. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, it keeps me lubricated. At, yes, we l- use lube. But when you have your own natural lubrication and the lube together, it's even better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you were doing the research for your book, was there a special favorite piece of knowledge that you learned about? I love learning new things and I always want to hear about what other people learn. After so many years of teaching, did you learn some new things when you were researching for your book? Oh, absolutely. I found out, I mean, I have like so many new things that just blew my mind when I was um when I was researching my book, both techniques and sort of scientific studies and also even new information on women's genital anatomy. I, I learned, I mean, I think I learned so much from writing the book myself. And so while I was reading the book on the beach last week, I was relating some of the information to David and, um, I was telling him about the clitoris and some of the things that you put in your book, I was learning about the clitoris as well. But then David had the question, like, do other animals have clitorises? And I said, boy, I don't know. It didn't quite come up. And then you talked about a study on a rabbit clitoris. And I said, yep, rabbits have clitorises. (laughs) I learned something new. Yay. Yes, and there's something that's come out since I've published my book. If I would have, the study didn't come out while I was writing it that I'd love to share with you because it answers that question. It's just so fascinating. Um, And that is that some animals have clitorises inside their vagina um, and that they orgasm through penetration and that's what triggers ovulation. And so all these debates about um, the evolutionary function of female orgasm in the clitoris, there's some scientists that are saying, aha, the clitoris used to be inside the vagina. And just like some of these other mammals, when we had intercourse, we would orgasm and the orgasm would stimulate ovulation. But then when we started living in groups and screwing around a lot, (laughs) it was no longer functional to ovulate that way. So the clitoris migrated outside the vagina so as not to mix the signals up and our ovulation started being cyclical. Um, So yes, Um, and um, the dolphins are the lucky ones um, that some say, although I don't like it, that statement because it again says there's a right way, but dolphins are an animal that have, from my understanding, and this is all very new, so um, clitoris is inside their vagina. Wow. And even our clitoris, it, 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 you know, the bulbs surround the vagina, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But I'm talking about the glands mm-hmm. being inside the, the, and the even, vagina. And even when you talk about those women who do have orgasms during penetration, the fact is the penis is stimulating the glands of the, and the bulbs and the legs of the, uh, the clitoris during or uh, intercourse. Is that correct? That is correct, and in fact, what people call the G spot isn't a spot at all. It's a, it's actually a complex of several organs, including the clitoris, mm-hmm, absolutely, the clitoral um, legs and bulbs. And so, it's really more of an area that's very sensitive to touch and stimulation that causes orgasms. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Wow. So I guess but I also that, encourage women, don't, you don't need to go finding. Some people say the whole G-spot has set us back to a Freudian era where like women are looking for this magic spot inside their vagina. I mean, for some women who like it, some women don't. And that's really my message is that 
whatsoever you get off is the right way to get off. And for most of us, it's some type of clitoral stimulation. Yeah. And it's the same thing when it comes to squirting. All women should be able to squirt, but, you know, it starts in your head. You need the right pressure. You need the right stimulation. And it's not that you have to or you don't have to. It's It just is if it is. And if you like it, great. If not, it's not. you're not broken if you don't squirt. These right. days, it's in, it's in the news. And a lot of women, especially swingers, say, oh, I don't squirt. Oh, like it's a bad thing. But really, it's not. Everybody exactly. Exactly. And and there's even some, I want to even take this a step further, there's even some research that women who are not natural squirters and try to make themselves can harm their pelvic floor yeah. muscles. Yeah. It's really accept, accept what your body is and does, and some women squirt, some don't. Um, there's some evidence that most women squirt, but some do it backwards, <laughs> okay. um, retrograde into oh, yes. their into their um, bladder versus out because right. the squirting comes from your urethra, not your vagina. Yeah. So I really like that message. Don't it's don't try to do something that doesn't work for your body. Figure out what your body does and let it do it. Absolutely. Now, I guess it comes, we're down to the last part of our really? show. We're done already? <laughs> oh, Where we're going to ask God. you for some final advice. We'll have to have we, Lori back on our show. For sure we will. We're just going to ask you for some final advice that you can leave with our listeners. Um, and here it would be, if you could offer men one tip for giving their partners the best night of sex of their lives, what would it be? Ask her what she likes mm. and do that. And tell her it's important to you. Say, it's really important to me that you have as much pleasure as I have. Can you please tell me now, before we start having a sexual encounter, during the sexual encounter, please, please show me, tell me what feels good for you. Wow. That is amazing. That is absolutely great advice. What a great way to end an amazing show. Dr. Lori Mintz, thank you so much for being here. Um, you're um, knowledge, intelligence, books, everything is going to be absolutely uh, mind-blowing for all our listeners. And we reserve the right to have you back and talk about your first book. But uh, why don't you take a minute and tell everybody how they can find you online, social media, your website, and where they can buy your books. Wonderful. Thank you. And I've enjoyed being on and would love to be on again. You can find me at www.drlaurimintz, so D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E-M-I-N-T-Z.com. And that has links to all my social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, all under the same name, Dr. Lori Mintz. And you can find both of my books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Bookstore, um, my latest book is in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. So wherever books are sold, you can find me. Well, that's awesome. And and Dr. Lori is going to have a page up on our website, thesexylifestyle.com. So if you missed any of that, just go to our website. And we're learning more and more every week with all our fantastic guests, and we hope you do too. Visit our website, thesexylifestyle.com, to find out more about our expert guests. And you can even contact them if you have questions about sex, sexuality, and relationships. And remember to sign up on sdc.com if you're looking for an open-minded online community where you can meet other sexy people and find out where the events are happening near you. If you use promo code 30314, you'll get your first month free. So check it out. Absolutely. And guess what? We're going back to Hito 2, that amazing clothing optional resort in Jamaica where you can get as mild or as wild as you want for a triple play event. It's going to be a full hotel takeover September 26th to October 3rd, 2020. If you're into fitness, kink, or arm candy and not the type you eat, the type you fuck, <laughs> join us there um, for more information about this. Um, go, once again, go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com. And what about Nadia in Orleans, babe? Oh, yeah, let's not forget about Nadia in Orleans. You can book Nadia in Orleans, which is the largest convention, sexually open-minded couples in the world, which, of course, happens in New Orleans. Say, July. say that again. And remember to book Nadia in Orleans, the largest convention of sexually open-minded couples in the world, July 8 to 12 this year, 2020. And you can book that on our website as well. Just go to the events page and you'll find it, everything that's there. Right, and that's right. Or send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. Absolutely. Well, that's it for our show today. Dr. Laurie Mintz, thank you so much for being here. 
Thanks for having me. And we want to thank all our listeners for listening every week and making our show as successful as it has become. Join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever.